Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. With many of us returning to some normal pre-COVID-19 activities, the quarantine may feel remote. But less than a year ago, the theme of a movie at the Atlanta Film Festival The outside story had added meaning as its main character, played by Brian Tyree Henry, learns in order to understand what's inside of us, we must go outside. I'm delighted to tell you that the movie is now available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Today, we'll listen back to a conversation with Kazimir Nelskowski, the director of The Outside Story. First, we go outside for a new family musical in Little Five Points. Horizon Theatre Company returns to live performances outdoors in the backyard of Horizon Theatre in Little Five Points. Together with Destination Theater, Horizon will present the children's musical, How I Became a Pirate. Lisa Adler is the co-artistic and producing director of Horizon Theater. She joins us now via Zoom with Corey Phelps, the artistic director of Destination Theater, and actor Destiny Freeman. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, happy to be here. Yay. Yay, indeed. Oh, it's so wonderful to return to live performance. Well, Corey, let's start with you. When and why was Destination Theater created? Destination Theater uh, started get this, January 2021. Um, We were sitting around, my girlfriend and I, Amy Duffy is our producer, and we were tired of waiting to get back to performing, to directing shows. And we said, you know what, there has to be a way to do this. So we put our brains together and came up with Destination Theater. And Destination Theater is dedicated to creating excellent and imaginative touring productions for people of all ages. And we're currently touring Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Indiana, and Michigan. So you're touring and you conceived this while, well, I guess things were starting to improve a bit. January, people were beginning to get vaccinated, but those were older people. That's right. There was no real touring going on then. This was all pre-production and pre-planning until we knew it was safe enough to come out and start partnering with great people like Horizon Theater. And then once vaccinations started rolling out, we said, okay, let's, let's start getting some bookings. Well, tell us, how did the partnership with Horizon come about? I mean, I've known Corey for a long time. Um, he was known to me as an actor, but also as a education director where he was education at Serenby. We have been looking to do an outdoor performance series this summer 
and then found out that we were not going to be able to do the size. We were doing a pretty expansive summer series is what we've been planning. And the building decided that they were not going to permit us to put up an outdoor stage. So at that point, we had to cancel those plans pretty quickly. And we're looking for other things that we could do outside. And Corey came to me with a proposal for his touring children's theater, which seemed like a perfect fit for us uh, because people are wanting to be outside and wanting to be doing live performance. And we have a history of doing Madeline's Christmas for many years for families. And we have also previously done some programming. And over the pandemic, one of the things we've been looking at is how to expand our programming for family audiences. And so Corey's production was a good fit with that interest in expanding those offerings. And he has all vaccinated people in his cast and we have all vaccinated people on our staff. So between that, we decided that this might be a great fit uh, to move forward as our first venture out with live performance again. So excited to be doing that. Would you give us a synopsis of the musical? Sure. The musical follows a young girl named Jessica Jacob and a band of goofy pirates, and they're on a hunt for the perfect place to bury their treasure. Now, while they're adventuring, she learns being back home is actually the greatest treasure of all. Uh, We thought that was a really interesting show to pick during this time where we're coming out of having been at home for so long. Hopefully we found that tre- some of that treasure at home. <laughs> we may have gotten sick of some of that treasure at home, but certainly there was some treasure there. Yeah, and when I saw the production, I love the script and the music because it goes into this little girl's imagination and what she would imagine pirates to wonder about in the real world of a girl, like what's soccer? And you really brush your teeth every night? And... <laughs> And they go, oh, no, green teeth are good. So I, I just thought, and going to sleep, how do I, I, oh, dear, I can't go to sleep the way I did before. How am I going to get a bedtime story? Pirates don't do bedtime stories. Those are the things I found really delightful. It goes through a lot of things that kids deal with and has like the pirate's view of it. So although the linking story is around finding buried treasure, the story story is around the girl connecting with these pirates and talking about things that all kids and adults relate to in real life. Yeah. Now, the musical How I Became a Pirate is based on a children's story by Melinda Long with illustrations by David Shannon. The pirates in the book appear stereotypical mostly white characters, dirty, scrappy. How is this production different? You mentioned girls. I will say this is uh, one of the most diverse casts I've been a part of. I appreciated the casting because it is not your typical casting of How I Became a Pirate because uh, we have African-American women playing uh, men. Like I play Swill. I'm like the, the know-it-all, but also very timid and very smart and intellectual. But yeah, that just goes to show you that in any time that we are creating theater, it doesn't have to be just one way of casting. Um, it really goes off of those characters. Can those actors really convey these characters? And I think it was uh, cleverly done and well done um, by Corey and Amy. Destiny, I'm curious to hear more about Swill. How does an intellectual pirate find intellectual stimulation being a pirate? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Swill loves to interject a lot. When, When someone doesn't know anything, I am the person who is read a lot. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm just like, come on, you don't know the definition of this. Like they're asking for the definition of stealthily and things. Swill knows the answer. But Swill also is very flustered because I'm not as big as everyone else. Or I probably don't have a sword. I have a compass. So Swill finds treasure in um, being the answer, you know, but also giving the wrong answer because sometimes Swill does that too, (laughs) or sometimes Swill gets them well. (laughs) But she uses her brain. Absolutely. Uses her brain. (laughs) These shows will be performed outside. Lisa, why is Horizon's Backyard well-suited 
for this play? Well, they are touring all over outside. We have in the far back of our parking lot, there's this lovely area that's surrounded by trees. And it's a kind of a, a large cement area that we're going to set up the stage there so that we can have lots of people outdoors. It's a lovely setting. It is outside. So please bring your water. And we have a history of, you know, we did, we were outside at Piedmont Park for four years in the summer for a week. And we had large audiences there and everybody brought their chairs and blankets and picnics. And so we're kind of doing our mini recreation of that wonderful outside experience. So bring your picnics, bring your chairs, come hang out. It's an hour show. Have a good time with the family. So that's the idea. And we hope that um, it's appropriate for kids, you know, from little babies up till about eight or nine years old, although there's lots of adult humor. So I love the show. I thought it was really funny and just uh, appropriate for all ages. But the sweet spot is going to be the kind of that three to three to eight or nine years old, probably. Yeah. What if it rains? We do have a rain policy. Um, we will notify people in advance. It depends on how much it's raining. Uh, we'll be making the call probably about two hours before showtime. Uh, people can, at that point, if we cancel the show, they can either get their money back or they can exchange their tickets for another date. If they cancel, that's another story. But if we cancel, then there's no problem with rescheduling or or going another time. Um, there are just a limited number of performance dates right now, um, but we are also looking if uh, anyone has a summer camp or a group that they want a special performance for, we are considering weekday performances, but we're doing that with um, special groups in mind. So if you have a group of 25 or more and you'd like a special weekday performance, let us know. We're trying to schedule those in as well. With the theme of pirates and treasure, I would think there must be some fun songs. Can you tell us about the music you think is especially attractive? Sure. So all of our songs in the show are these really, some of them are the sea shanties you've, you've heard uh, set with different words. Um, there's actually a song that Destiny sings, Read the Map, that's based off of Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, Lisa talked about Green Teeth. Uh, the opening number is just this very vibrant, bright music that is all about recruiting Jessica and trying to figure out how she can become a pirate. And his father's father's father was a pirate. And his father was an accountant. <laughs> what? But he wanted to be a pirate. <laughs> I have to say the choreography was great, too. They Each song has kind of its own theme. They've got different kinds of props or unique um, just a unique take on every song that's uh, in terms of the choreography. There's one with, I love the one with soccer balls, where they teach the soccer, the pirates to play soccer. <laughs> Not easy when you're on a ship, is it? <laughs> right. What about the musical accompaniment? What kind of backup do the singers and actors have? All of the music uh, is written by Janet Yates folks and Mark Friedman, and they provided tracks from musicians that they partnered with when they first developed the show. So it's all studio recordings that will play underneath the actors' uh, vocals. Ah, okay. In addition to performing outdoors, will Horizon implement any other safety measures? Yeah, all of our staff will be masked. We are going to ask that audience member be masked, but... That's hard to require, but we are going to ask that people be masked. Uh, we are going to be doing cleaning between every show. There'll be no touch surfaces that people have to touch to check in. Everything's done remotely. And then people will be social distance seating on their blankets and chairs within that, but probably more like three feet, not, not the full six feet. And uh, just asking people to be respectful. This is our first time back. So we'll probably be figuring out as we go to some degree, but those are the things that we're planning right now. Well, I hope for good weather for everyone involved. Yes. And congratulations on returning to live performance. It sounds like this will be a welcome production for 
well, for families and like you said, Lisa, people of all ages who enjoy a good story and some fun music. The young and young at heart, right? Lisa Adler, co-artistic and producing director of Horizon Theater. Corey Phelps, artistic director of Destination Theater. And actor Destiny Freeman, the outdoor children's production of How I Became a Pirate is ongoing through August 8th. And you can learn more about it on our website, wabe.org org slash city lights. In a moment, the outside story, a highlight from the Atlanta In a moment, the outside story, a highlight from the Atlanta Film Festival last September. I'll talk with the director after this short break. You're tuned to WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. In the outside story, the lead character, played by Brian Tyree Henry, learns that to understand what's inside of us, we must go outside. I'm delighted that the film is now available for viewing on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Last year, when the movie was screened as part of the Atlanta Film Festival, I got to talk with the writer and director Casimir Noskowski over Zoom. Our conversation started with a summary of the plot. The Outside Story stars Brian Tyree Henry, and he plays uh, an introverted, heartbroken uh, video editor who you know, on a day when he wants to be really wallowing in self-pity and just staying in his house and just locking himself down uh, before, before it was cool, he winds up locking himself out of his apartment. One of the simplest problems that's probably happened to all of us in one you know, way or another. Um, and is basically forced onto a little bit of a uh, Brooklyn odyssey around his block and is forced to meet his neighbors that he's previously avoided, meet his community, see his surroundings, and and discover all the life that he's taken for granted. And uh, it's it's really that's really what it is. It's about you know a simple problem that kind of unfolds and unfolds and unfolds. And we watch someone deal with the choices that he's made in his life and um, figure out you know the main part about his uh, this uh, there's a relationship that may have you know, uh, imploded and him kind of seeing it in a new light, getting a new perspective, perhaps, because of this uh, situation that he's in. So I think that's, I, I'm, I'm always so tempted to go into spoilers, but uh, you're right. Let's, let's, let's stay vague for now. So I think that that sums it up. Yes, we want viewers <laughs> to be surprised. And I think they will be delighted too. What first gave you the idea for this story? Well, I've been making short films and documentaries for a long time. I live in New York City. I've always lived in New York City. And um, uh, my documentaries are usually about very kind of simple kind of premises about the things in my life that I notice and that I realize I've been taking for granted. And I've made films about the local corner store called Bodega. I've made films about baseball stadiums, going to a baseball game, um, films about people I meet in the city. 
and I think I wanted to, um, I'd always wanted to make a feature. And I, I was inspired to kind of look at that, create a character that is forced to re-examine how he looks at the world. You know, how we all, in our human instinct, we all take things for granted. It's, I mean, you kind of have to do it to survive. You can't really stop and wonder at the world every time you're on your way to work. And, but at the same time, I think a lot, you know, we lose things, we, we miss things that are right next to us that are really worth noticing. So with all that in mind, I tried to think of what would be the, you know, the greatest way to get a character into that frame of mind. And I just thought, you know, I've never seen a movie about someone locking themselves out. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always kind of loved movies that have simple, that seem on the face to have simple premises and then unfold into something more intricate and kind of in the flow of life that become kind of more complicated. And so I just thought that was a really nice way. When I've actually been locked out many times, I'm sorry to, sorry to admit. And I, every time I've been locked out, I've found it a really kind of, while it's very annoying, it is also usually a poetic kind of disruption to your routine. You know, we, we fall into routines so easily. And so when I've been locked out, I just, th I just thought of those times I would get inspired I would look at it and say, you know, this would make a great movie because look at me, I'm sitting on my stoop. I don't have my shoes on. <laughs> uh, these people are walking by. They're, some people are being super kind to me, strangers, um, letting me use their phone or, you know, letting me climb out on their fire escape. And I just thought it was the, I just thought it was really a great little framework. Also, I wanted to kind of show a side of New York that I don't feel like is seen in the movies uh, too often. I'm, I'm sure there are times when it is, but you know, show a kind of rich tapestry of characters that uh, of the New York that I know that's kind of, you know, more interesting um, and more more complicated than I think your normal New York big film, if you will. So I'd say those were those were some of the premises that kind of got me started. Well, the film has beautiful shots of Brooklyn and you do not use a heavy hand in conveying the complexities of New York life. And yet you also bring out the kindness that exists in uniquely New York situations. <laughs> um, the characters whom we meet, such as uh, the police officer giving the parking tickets and the delivery guy who is something of a philosopher and questions what's wrong with tipping, you know. But I, I think that in many ways, New York itself feels like a character. Was that intentional? Absolutely. I, I would say that I did want to show New York, illustrate New York. And again, I grew up in New York. I've lived in Manhattan and Brooklyn all my life. And I'm always, when I see a New York film, I love New York films. There's so many of them that are, that are wonderful. But I always feel like it's, films go kind of broad. You know, they don't go into that. They don't drill down into really exactly what you're talking about. The kindnesses, the little details, the shocks, the little, you know, it's all, I feel like there's a kind of archetypal understanding of New York that's out there in Hollywood in film. And I do think that there are, there are many movies that do get into the nitty gritty, but then to get into the nitty gritty without necessarily getting into the like depressing, frustrating, even violent parts of New York, but actually to like really just look at like normal everyday life on the block. I mean, I think because of my documentary background, I've always been fascinated by making everyday life poetic. That there is, or, or I should say, there is poetry in everyday life and, and it can be so compelling. Um, and that if you can, if you can kind of really bring that to the screen, I, I just always find that a really interesting thing to see and usually very inspiring. And, and having said that, I think on the flip side, I also wanted to make this a movie that was appealing to people who aren't just New Yorkers. It is a love letter to New York, but I hope it also speaks to just someone who takes their town for granted, someone who takes their city for granted, be it a city or a rural community, you know, just that, that you kind of get used to where you live and that if you actually stop, pull the kind of veil back from your eyes, there's so much amazing stuff right next to you, right down the street, right down the road, the dirt road, the block. Um, so I was really trying to be kind of universal while at the same time using what I know, which is New York City. Mm. 
Charles, the film's protagonist, played by Brian Tyree Henry, writes eulogies for celebrities who aren't dead yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he is also a documarian. Are we a little bit autobiographical here? <laughs> What's the inspiration <laughs> for Charles? Well, I think that, again, I, I am someone who's been very trained to use what you know. My parents are artists. Are, my, my father was a painter. My mother is a sculptor and a painter and, you know, abstract artists, but they still kind of mine their life. And so I definitely have mined my life for this character in this film. Like, I think it makes sense. Those are the things you know the best. And I am someone, uh, speaking to Charles's job, I am someone who has edited in memoriams for celebrities who aren't dead yet. I used to uh, work at AMC and we would, that was, a, it wasn't my only job, but that was one of the main things we would do is they would have these kind of pre-made um, obituary videos. It's, it's so macabre for these celebrities. And so every year or two, they'd say, hey, we need to update Clint Eastwood's obituary. You know, he just made Sully. He just made, you know, whatever film. We got to get that in there. And then if, if and when he passes away, we can run this obituary right away. I always found that such a kind of uh, grim job. I mean, I think it's for a good cause. I mean, I think you are trying to capture someone's legacy and someone's life, but to kind of be pre-working on it, you know, they do this in the New York Times. They write the obituaries years in advance for people so that it's really ready to go right away. I just thought that was the greatest job for a depressed character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. And I think in the days of, in the heyday of print journalism, that was something that people were first assigned. I think even in journalism classes. I believe it. I always found it fat, like a, just such a, I mean, I, there's a great documentary called Obit that's about the New York Times obituary writers. And they have these file cabinets with like the little you know, note cards on note cards on note cards about such and such political or, you know, famous figures. And again, I just think that's so, there's something so grim and I suppose something inspiring about that, that kind of job. Um, can I just say one other thing about the character? You know, the other thing is, I think when I approach a script, I just have to, I can't say enough about Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, I was hoping we could talk about him. Absolutely. We have, it's, come on, this is Atlanta. We have to do it. He is such a wonderful, wonderful person, actor, collaborator, genius, beautiful person. And I have to say that I, I love working with actors. It's probably my favorite part of directing this film, of, of directing in general. And we definitely, this character, like, yes, there are things that come from my life, but I left it, I really wanted to work with an actor who would make this character their own completely. Like, I'm not a director who needs it. To, you need to fit my parameters. It's very much the other way around. I want to give you some like general ideas. I want to give you some general themes and lines, but I want you to really make it your own. And Brian Tyree Henry was like the quintessential elevation of a character. I worked with so many great actors on this, um, but they were really like orbiting around the beautiful gravity of Brian, who's so funny, but also has so much heart so much like electricity. So yeah, it just, I really, I he really, I think, you know, made this character whole. Oh, well, it comes through, all of those qualities come through brilliantly. And mm. I thought, even before I watched the film, I thought it was so welcome to see that Brian Tyree Henry had a lead role and a romantic mm. role at that. And mm -hmm. when I saw him in If Beale Street Could Talk, I was astonished by his range. And all of that comes out, you know, the full spectrum from his comic talent to the pathos, it all comes out in the outside story. Oh, thank you. I, I mean, thank you for on his behalf. He's, he's amazing. I mean, I can't, I really can't say enough about how, what a wonderful actor he is. I, I, Atlanta is really probably my favorite TV show and he's so great in Atlanta. He's so kind of, you know, with a kind of um, laid back kind of feeling to his character, someone who goes with the flow, but at the same time, 
there is so much like drama within him that is like just like radiating out from him and it really was look all directors say this they're lucky to work with such and such actor i really cannot like express how much gratitude i have that he you know that he is blowing up he's in he's going to be in he's in everything right now and uh the fact that he was able to uh do this film you know he's in every shot pretty much he's yes. in every scene you know uh it's really it was such a kind of undertaking of his and just so inspiring to be around him um i, I yeah i love him he was amazing let's talk about the other characters and uh, i should add the entire cast is very strong the neighborhood police officer officer z slater Mm-hmm. She exhibits a surprising amount of depth. What was your inspiration for her character? Wow, I mean Sunita Mani, you know, just another wonderful, like, just brought made that character something, you know, really three dimensional. Also, really, she changed that character in a way that I loved. Where she made, I kind of always, I pictured her as a kind of like a, almost like a angrier kind of presence who then softens and she actually made her this kind of dry wit who's really just like enjoying giving tickets and really <laughs> hates the New York City drivers and the the entitlement that they have and I love I got I love how she you know really enhanced uh Slater and made Slater into someone who I think is like so compelling my inspiration really was that when you're making a film about your block or your street you know you're looking around for the institutions the things that the fixtures that again you deal with every day but maybe you don't really notice you don't so i always i have a car in new york city i'm ashamed to admit and i i have to deal with alternate side of the street parking and i often think of the traffic the parking cops as antagonists uh people who are just out there to kind of to hurt me to give me that ticket but of course they're human beings come on and they're regular people and I I guess I wanted to make a character that starts out as this antagonist um that then becomes uh an ally but not without you know some surprising complications to it and so I think I think it just was a natural fit to have a parking cop someone who everyone hates just show us just like a little bit more of the depth of who they are and i think hopefully if they become an ally that it's a bit of a surprise but out of left field that they become one because they're in such a frustrating position to begin with writer and director kasimir noskowski will return to more of our conversation about his film the outside story in just a moment you're tuned to wabe at latter's choice for npr this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes, and if you've just tuned in, I've been speaking with the writer and director Kasimir Noskowski about The Outside Story. The film stars Brian Tyree Henry in his first ever role as a big screen lead romantic character. In the movie, Henry plays Charles Young a documentary editor coming off a breakup with his longtime girlfriend the story begins with young getting locked out of his apartment forcing him to try and figure out a way to get back inside and off the streets of brooklyn as the film progresses he meets a wide array of different people and here i ask the director about the friendship between charles and his young neighbor elena elena is played by olivia edward who is on the show better things uh on fx another just someone i liked watching on tv and was lucky enough to get them to be in my film and charles is someone who lives in a building with with a few neighbors and you know doesn't know them he's just not that kind of person who goes and investigates who lives above him below him to the left and to the right of him and so the film is really about just discovering these like little worlds that are all around him and so elena is this the this upstairs neighbor who you find out is in a bit of a 
troubling situation. And I think right there, what I wanted to do was, you were talking about how the film has a lot of kindness in it. Um, uh, the characters, I should say, exhibit a lot of kindness and there's, it's, it's a comedy. But at the same time, I thought to be true to what it's like to have neighbors, to, to what it's like to meet the world, you're, you are gonna meet kind people more than not, but you're also gonna meet people who are in bad situations, who are in trouble, who are damaged, who are in danger. And so Elena becomes also an ally to Charles, someone who can help him both you know, literally and also spiritually, but also I think demonstrates that not everybody's world is like peaches and cream, everything's okay. I think, I think for Charles, he kind of assumes that everyone is happier than he is. I would say that's his, his take on life, is that everyone's doing great, the world is just opening the door for them, and for him, it's a struggle. And I think Elena is meant to demonstrate that that's really not true, and that in fact, we're all struggling. We're all fighting battles. And she's someone who I think has come, made some peace with her lot in life, um, but, and has, this, has an amazing talent potentially, um, but is kind of like dealing with uh, her problems, her bigger problems um, in a different way than Charles. And I think there provides a new kind of understanding for him when their relationship deepens. Yeah, she has a mother who is emotionally abusive and, and Charles is sort of horror struck by that. And he becomes sort of like a tender uncle to her, but she teaches him a whole lot as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And her mother played by Maria Dizia, another like wonderful, wonderful actor, you know, a theater actor, but also someone who you've seen in probably, you know, a hundred movies and TV shows. And really, I thought bravely kind of brought a character. We talked a lot about likability in this film and being kind of a likable presence, or, you know, a, but she has, she has to do this different thing. She has to kind of be shocking and a little scary and that she dove so, so far into that. I just, again, I mean, I, I'm as kind of grateful to her as to anyone just for taking that on. And I think really uh, beautifully illustrating a character like that who is kind of uncomfortable. I should add at this point, we get a glimpse inside of their apartment in Charles Building. Were mm -hmm. the playbills that we see and some of the theater posters actually productions that actress appeared in? They, I'm, I'm afraid to say, or maybe happy to say, they are all made up uh, productions. They're, we're using some images of hers. She has been, she is such a prolific actor, but they are all made up. I had a wonderful production designer on this film, uh, S.D. Braverman, and her and I, one of the first things we talked about was, oh, she, this, you know, that, that uh, Maria's character, uh, Juliet, needs to have, like, she's definitely the kind of actor that is framing every single one of her playbills, posters, and even if it was the smallest off, 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 off Broadway <laughs> thing, it's up there. It's like, you know, it's probably like she's dusting it every day. There's nothing wrong with that. I just, but I felt like she's someone who has, is like surrounded by the past. Um, and I wanted to make the past a little bit funny in her case. Well, similarly, and I guess this is another nod to Esty, your production designer. In Charles and Isha's apartment, I noticed a poster on the wall for Raoul Peck's film, I Am Not Your Negro. Mm -hmm. That's right. For that, we wanted to kind of give a nod to the films that Charles, who was, you know, we, we kind of hint at, we don't hit it over the head, but we hint at that he's a documentarian. And so we wanted to get the films that we thought his character would be drawn to that would be interested in. Um, so there's like a thin blue line, there's I Am Not Your Negro, there's multiple films. And some, and a lot of that was also done in collaboration with Brian, that Brian was saying, hey, you know, I think these are the kind of films that would be appropriate for my character. And so I am, oh man, I feel bad. There's a, the people who gave us the rights to use those posters, again, just generous, like really wonderful of them to let us use it to kind of bring in some real world detail, you know, try to kind of flesh out that that filmmaker background of Charles without kind of, 
you know, landing on it too heavily, but just let it be known that he's someone who was a kind of vibrant artist, someone so interested in the arts and that that, like it does for so many of us, you get in a rut, a project falls apart and you just, you can just collapse because you can just feel like the chips are stacked against you. Making a film, like all films demonstrate, making a film is so hard. You have to be lucky in so many ways. And so I, I, I wanted to show that, that um, that feel he has for the arts in the background, but also not kind of uh, necessarily bring it up in a really heavy sense. Yeah, you don't hit people over the head with anything. <laughs> Another character I love <laughs> is Sarah, the next door neighbor. Totally. And she is wise, she's gentle, she can be a little sassy at just the right moments. And it, she becomes a very nurturing presence for Charles and Elena. Was there a particular character or even an actress you had in mind? I, I thought of Ruby Dee. Hmm. I, I mean, I love Ruby D, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I was thinking of anyone in particular. I think I was just, I was looking for different perspectives than Charles. How far away could I get from Charles uh, perspective-wise while also, you know, having them literally be the person next door? And so that, that Sarah is played wonderfully by Linda Gravitt who uh, is really someone I discovered in the casting, that we discovered in the casting process. My great casting director, Stephanie Holbrook, turned me on to her. And I think she just was someone who, man, I loved her style. She just showed up. She's smoking cigarettes. She's telling us great stories about doing films in the past. She was in, um, she was like a dancer in The Wiz. Oh my. Uh, she, she was really a character uh, herself. And I, I wanted someone who could, I think, be kind, and you think of her, you, when you first meet her, she's just this sweet presence. But that when you get to know her, you find that she has this kind of very down to earth approach. Her husband, yeah, you know, I don't want to, I guess I shouldn't give things away, but she's someone who has had some loss recently in her life. And that she's kind of, the way she at least is showing it outwardly is that it's all just a part of life. It doesn't mean that the world is stacked against her, like perhaps Charles is feeling. But in fact, she's just someone who goes with the flow of life. At the same time, she also wants to take command of her destiny. And so, as you'll see, there's this whole online dating situation. <laughs> and that was a way for, you know, the three of them. I really wanted Charles, Elena, and Sarah to in some way, like work on something together, you know, like make something together. Even if it's just an online dating profile, it just felt like they could really you could see what they all think about life and love just in this very kind of prosaic dating process. And, and you gave Charles an opportunity to do a bio of someone who was still alive, or at least <laughs> not writing about the person after they died. Oh, that is so well put. You're so right. It's like, right. He's like, you, you know, he's this obsessive character. He obsesses about celebrities and their, you know, how to kind of, capture them and now he can use that power to you know capture the essence of this woman uh that he's really just met and really kind of like make her a profile that uh hopefully yields some great results and lets her find some some love the interior of sarah's apartment is elegant she has a lovely grand piano and Elena wants to play for Sarah and Charles. And what she plays is astonishing. I've, I was hoping you would talk about the music in the film because not only whoever played Sarah's part on the piano, but the electronic music and the use of music is very effective. Oh, thank you. That oh man, that makes me so happy. I um, well, I'll, uh, there there there's a, a lot of people to thank here, but I'll say that my composer Alexander Trimpey did all the original score, the kind of the the score you hear throughout the film. And him and I talked about something. You know, we were constantly trying to like thread this needle 
where we wanted music that kind of kept the urgency going, but also had a sweetness, but also had a coolness. I mean, I think in all parts of the film, not just the music, I was trying to avoid sentimentality. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't sentiment in the film. There isn't kind of, you know, moments where hopefully real heart kind of is exuded. But I really want, I didn't want music that was like maudlin or too cheerful. And so again, you're kind of always trying to strike this balance. And I think we thought that electronic synthy music with some real instruments that are grounded in it would really kind of have that perfect sweet spot that I, I you know, hopefully, hopefully we achieved. I think at, to Alex's credit, he was also always trying to kind of have themes pay each other off. I'm sure obviously composers probably do this in lots of films, but he was really like almost building like a map of music and so when he knew that there was going to be this big piano scene, he started to kind of build in little piano parts that kind of, you know, again, unconsciously, hopefully, you feel like it's building up. It's suggesting that Elena is going to hopefully demonstrate that side of her, her character and show off that piano. In terms of the actual piano performance, the funny thing about that, I, I don't know if this is getting too far into the weeds. No, get into the weeds. Let's get in the weeds. Yeah. We originally had a Prokofiev uh, track in there, a Prokofiev piano piece that I really love. And unfortunately, we couldn't afford it. We ended up not being able to afford it. I, I, and again, I hope that's not too gauche to say, but we were a small indie film. I think we thought that everyone would <laughs> take pity on us. But look, that's, I understand it's a beloved, beloved piece. But um, my a really close friend of mine who's a jazz musician, Greg Glassman, saw the scene and said, you know, I think I can write you a piece that does everything you want it to do. And it can be original and it can be something that really works with what Elena's playing. And he made this, I'm, I am still to this day so impressed that he basically like retrofit his own original classical piece into what Elena was playing. He really and did. And it's amazing. I mean, it's like he, it, he's, la you know, it's landing exactly. I mean, I guess it's also goes to credit to my sound editor, credit to my editor, like for really making it line up in a way. I mean, and also credit to Olivia Edward, who plays Elena, who really also studied that piece and told me when we were having her play it, she's like, look, I can kind of look like I'm playing it, but I hate to tell you this, my fingers don't <laughs> actually reach far enough to play the chords that Prokofiev is is suggesting need to be played. So in the end, it, it takes a village, as they say. <laughs> and the music was really like so many people really putting a lot of just that, I don't know, just so much back and forth and so much time and energy. And I, but I think in service of making music that, you know, I think really, I don't know, it doesn't hit, hopefully it doesn't hit you over the head, but then in the piano, when the piano comes in, it's meaningful, it, it, it's powerful, it's meant to be. And I think also shocking that, not, not shocking like scary, but shocking that this little girl has this within her. Yes. I guess. And okay, Casimir, if you will indulge me, my background is in music. And when the character of Elena begins to play, I thought that's the movement Montagues and Capulets from Prokofiev's Romeo <laughs> and Juliet, you know, right. dum, ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum. and then I thought, <laughs> oh no, wait, no, it's not. So, wow, your friend did an amazing job of <laughs> channeling Prokofiev, Shostakovich, and making it entirely his and Elena's own. Yeah, no, we were definitely inspired by that music, like for sure. We, you know, we love, I mean, Prokofiev, but yeah, it was really meant to create like its own original piece, but definitely like with like inspiration from, from that music for sure. Before we go, is it your dad's name that appears at the end, the dedication? Yes, that is my father. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he passed away uh, last year. What a beautiful tribute to him. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, he, uh, he was someone who I relied on a lot for advice with making this film. And luckily he got to see a cut before he passed away, so. Oh, good. Well, Casimir Noskowski, 
thank you for taking us on Charles's odyssey around the block, <laughs> for showing us the therapeutic value of sidewalk chalk, and for making this beautiful film. I think you will have great success with it. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. Thank you so much for having me on. And I, I just, it was such a delight to talk about the film with you. Kasimir Naskowski, writer and director of The Outside Story. The film, which stars Brian Tyree Henry, is now available for streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime. You can learn more about The Outside Story on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Catch an encore broadcast tonight at 9, tomorrow at 11 a.m., Atlanta poet laureate and playwright-in-residence Pearl Clegg will tell us what's going on. Marvin Gaye's classic recording is the topic of the new Collision Project for Teens at the Alliance Theatre. City Light's senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and I would just love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Archived interviews and shows are on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Thank you for listening to WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.